Thank you, Jim. You know, we also want to thank Millard, who providing wonderful music for us in the morning before the service begins. Thank you, Millard. Well, this is a rather unusual Sunday. For most of us, the echoes of Thanksgiving just don't go away. And today we begin marching toward Christmas, the first Sunday of Advent. I think it was Friday I was reading a newsletter I received from a charismatic Lutheran minister. I, I receive his letter frequently, Rodney Lynch. And in it he talked about the appropriateness of listening to Handel's Messiah in our home during this season. And I began to think about Handel's Messiah. I have the score. I pulled it out rather thick. Amazing, amazing piece of music. Some say the greatest piece of music ever composed. Some say perhaps even divinely inspired. I perhaps would question that, but in a one way it is. Because the Messiah is written around 53 passages of Scripture. And as you move through it, the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophecies, the New Testament, ending up in Revelation, there's a beautiful picture of what God has done through the ages to fulfill his promise. A marvelous piece of music. Saturday morning, as I sat in the dark praying, as is my custom, I began to think about that. And this thought came to me, what if God wrote an oratorio? <laughs> what would his oratorio be like? Would it be like that which Handel composed? From his perspective, what would it be? And the more I thought about that, I thought that's what we want to talk about today. Jehovah's Oratorio of Hope. How would it begin? In Job, when Job was challenging God, why are you doing this, why are you doing that, I don't understand. And God then began to question Job. Job, where were you when I planted the earth? Where were you when I established the foundations? Where were you when I created the seas? Where were you when the stars sang together? And the sons of God, the angels, spoke and re, uh, rejoiced. And I thought about that. Perhaps as God began his great oratorio of hope, the overture would begin with singing stars. In a way, we might say stars sing. There is a scientific discipline known as uh, sympathetic uh, vibrations. And those who follow that particular discipline in recent years have started to notice the vibrations that come from the universe. And I read a lengthy article about this, rather complicated, but in conclusion, the very last paragraph said, what we have clearly determined is the universe is musical because the vibrations that come from the universe are following the scale that we have. The, it moves in seconds and thirds. Harmonics. The universe is musical. And so I'm sure that's not what God meant when he was talking to Joseph, or Jacob, or Job, pardon me, when he said the, when the stars sang, 
But as I thought about the overture that God would compose, or rather the orator, the overture, I, I think, would maybe start with singing stars to begin this interesting musical piece. And then the great joy among the angels as they saw Jehovah God begin to fulfill the desire of his heart as he created humankind, man, in his image. Who can understand the heart of God? The desire he has to have in eternity, not just Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and a group of angels, but those made in his image. And so he created mankind in his image. And we can hear that overture, the beautiful music, the beautiful blissful time when God and man had beautiful fellowship. Then the music becomes dissonant and harsh. As into that beautiful scene comes the enemy of God, Satan. And Eve, who had never spoken to God, but her husband had, but she hadn't. By the way, what a beautiful relationship they had. You remember when God decided to make woman, he took from Adam's side a rib and made her. And when Adam said, she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, that was real. <laughs> Today, husband and wife become one flesh through the conjugal relationship. But for them, it was from the beginning. Adam had talked to God, Eve had not, and Satan therefore approached her first and said, Did God really say, if you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll surely die? You won't. <laughs> he spoke and brought deception to her, and she looked at the tree. It was beautiful. Satan said, Oh, it sure tastes good. You ought to try it. <laughs> not only that... God doesn't want you to eat of it because the day that you do, you become like God. You become wise. Wise? And so she took of the tree and ate of it and gave to her husband and he ate and something happened. For the first time, they became self-aware. We're naked. So they took leaves and made clothes for themselves. And when they were approached by God, what condemnation entered their hearts and grief in the heart of God. We can imagine at this point the overture slips into a minor key, sadness and sorrow. And the overture ends the main composition begins. As God says to Satan, I will put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. And he, single seed, shall crush your head. You will bruise his heel. I doubt if Satan or Adam and Eve understood that. <laughs> but that was the first promise of hope as Jehovah began to move into the body of his composition, Jehovah's oratorio of hope. Now the slowest 
movement in music is larghissimo. Larghissimo is so slow, you're almost waiting for the next beat. <laughs> waiting for the next beat. to play Largissimo as a musician. You get impatient, you want the next beat to come. And so this movement of God was Largissimo. Nothing much happening. The earth went round and round, and the earth rotated around the sun once, twice, three times, ten times, a hundred times, a thousand times. Adam and Eve, after they were cast out of the garden, had sons and daughters. Two major tribes developed, the tribe of Seth. Seth was a godly tribe. They called upon God. But really, they didn't make that much difference in the world. About all they did was procreate and get big. A lot of people, large tribe. The other major tribe was the tribe of Cain. They were almost ADD. They accomplished all kinds of things. They invented musical instruments. They built cities. They were adventuresome. They were exciting. In time, the sons of Seth began to notice that the daughters of Cain were quite gorgeous. You who are with us as we studied the Exodus, remember that when Balaam tried to curse the Israelites, God kept interfering. And finally he said to Balak, in essence, if we can't defeat them, then let's pervert them. And so the women of Midian and Moab began to entice the Israelite men to enter into sexual relations with them and even drew them into orgiastic, idolatrous worship, and as a result, many died. The same thing was done here. As the men of the Seth tribe began to look at the beautiful women of the Canaan tribe, and each man took whoever he wanted and married her. No consideration of character, no consideration of godliness. She just had a good-looking form and a pretty face. I want that one. And in time, there was no longer a distinction between the two tribes. The human race was one. Godliness was absent. And the Lord looked upon the earth. And we now hear great sorrow in his composition because every intent and thought of man's heart was of evil and it grieved God that he had made man. Should he destroy the human race? He yearned to have an eternal relationship with those made in his own image but look what had happened. But in all the human race there was one man who was righteous, Noah. You know the story of Noah. God told him to build an ark. It took him 120 years. While he was doing it, he was preaching righteousness while working. And in time, according to God's timing, Noah and his family went into the ark and selected angels went into the ark. 
And up to that time, there had never been rain. The earth was, had been watered by a mist, but suddenly that became rain. The vapor canopy fell. Alpha rays from the sun embarded the uh, atoms of the earth. They leapt across the barrier, the energy barrier. Great chasmoclitic events took place. The bottoms of the ocean became mountaintops. Mountaintops became oceans. Continents were lost. New continents were born. The fountain of the deep broke up. For 40 days and 40 nights, the whole earth was covered with a flood. And then after the flood, the human race went on largissimo, largissimo, largissimo. Not much action. And then one day, God looked upon the earth. And the choice being in his own heart, picked a man named Abram. Abram, come out from, from your father's house, from your land and from your country to a land that I will show you. Abram had no idea where it was, but he obeyed. And he and his family and his nephew Lot and their family together left and went to what later became known as the land of Canaan. And he said to Abram, Years from now, not now, but years from now, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. You're going to become a mighty nation, and in you, in you, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Hope. The first hope, the first beat in that oratorio was the promise that there would someday be of the seed of the woman, someone who'd crush the head of Satan. Now the second in you will all the nations of the earth be blessed. How could Abram, who became Abraham, understand that? Born to Abraham was Isaac. To Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One was Joseph, who for certain maneuverings ended up being the prime minister of Egypt. And during a time of famine, then the entire family came to Egypt by this time, there were 70 men over 20 years of age, innumerable women and children. They had a very excellent place to live in Egypt, the land of Goshen. They stayed there for about 400 years, and in their latter years, they were slaves, but they grew from 70 males over 20 years of age to 600,000 males over 20 years of age, not counting women and children. And then in this oratorio, God began to increase the pace from largissimo to largo, things happening more frequently. He raised up Moses to deliver the people. The Ten Commandments were given. And near the end of his life, God said, Moses, someday I will raise up a prophet just like you one, I've spoken to you, Fani Ufani, face to face. There'll be one like you, and he will speak, and the people will obey him. Moses told this to the people. What does this mean? When will it be? The first hope, the promise of the seed that would crush the head of Satan. The second promise that through Abraham the nation of the earth would be blessed. 
the third promise that someday there would be a prophet like Moses. Largo, the pace was more frequent, but still Largo. The nation developed and grew. Finally had a king. First king didn't work out. The second one was David. And a promise was given to David. I will establish your kingdom forever. What did that mean? But again, that was an element of hope. An element of hope. The years went by. The northern tribes and southern tribes divided the ten northern. And so turned to idolatry and so much against God that the Lord had the Assyrians come and carry them away to captivity. And they were lost to history. No one knows really whatever happened to him. But in the south, there was still a glimmer of godliness. And then one day, through various events, a woman named Athaliah came to the throne of Judah. She was the only woman to ever sit upon the throne of Judah. She was the only one to ever sit on that throne who was not a descendant of David, and she was a worshiper of Baal. She brought such perversion into the nation that God had to act, and so he sent a plague of locusts over the land. They devoured everything, all the leaves off the tree, the vineyards. They lost their leaves. They lost their grapes. The locusts were in the water, there was nothing for the cattle to eat. It was a terrible time. And as Joel, the prophet, was raised up, he described this as a mighty army. You know, we have the song, Blow the Trumpet in Zion. What a crazy way to take a song of destruction because that's what it is. The army it's spoken of in Joel is the army of locusts leaping over the walls and running everywhere and devouring everything. Very helpless time. And in that time, God said to Joel this, There will come a time in those days when I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. will pour out your Spirit on male and female. Old men will dream dreams and young men will have visions. Another promise. Another piece of hope. And the pace increased from Largo to Adagio. Beautiful, beautiful promise. And so more and more messages of hope began to increase. A king named Hezekiah came to the throne of Judah. Some things weren't exactly right, but at the bottom, a godly man. Isaiah was the prophet when he came to the throne. Isaiah prophesied during the reigns of three kings. Before Hezekiah came to the throne, there was the king Ahab, and God had challenged Ahab. And finally he said to Ahab one day, you know, ask, ask, a, ask a, 
some proof of God. And he said, who am I to test God? And Isaiah, therefore, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, therefore, since you will not ask for a sign, God will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a child, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Another message of hope. A little later, behold, a son is given to us. His name shall be called Mighty Counselor. Upon his shoulders shall be the government of peace. And of his kingdom there will never be an end. More hope in this wonderful oratorio that God is composing and the rhythm is increasing. It is increasing. It is increasing. In spite of all of the prophets and the influence of good people in Judah with the sub-tribe of Benjamin, idolatry kept creeping up. And so the Lord allowed the Babylonians to come and capture them and carry them away into Babylon. The Babylonian captivity succeeded. Never again was idolatry a problem in Judah. After that, it was gone forever. The temple was gone. All the things that had been central to their worship were gone. And while in Babylon, the Jewish people became concerned, what can we do to prefer to uh, make certain that the faith of Jehovah continues in our children? And so they decided that everywhere there were ten Jewish families, they would begin meeting together to hear from the oldest man the teachings of God. And that was the origin of the synagogue, the synagogues, the coming together. And that became their custom. Never before had the Jews worshipped on the Sabbath day. The worship had all been centered around the various times of the temple, the various seasons that had been appointed. Perhaps if I sinned, I'll bring an offering to the temple, but not worship on the Sabbath was to be a day of rest. At one point, God even said, don't even leave your house. Later, that was removed. But while they were in Babylon and they formed the synagogue, they began to meet on the Sabbath. And for the first time, they became a people of the book. They began to read the scrolls and study them. And when they came back to the promised land, they kept the synagogue, and that continued on. And you know, Jesus did not disapprove because he used the synagogue. And so the pace of the oratorio increased from adagio to moderato. In time, many more things happened. And then the prophet Malachi was given a word of God. And he concluded it by saying, Before I send the man of whom I prophesied, I will send a forerunner in the spirit of Elijah who will prepare the way for him. Another message of hope. No apparent action of God for a season. No more writing of scripture. It ended. But then in the oratorio, we begin to hear a martial sound. Something sweet and beautiful and yet having the martial cadence. As Alexander the Great arose in Greece, 
and swept across all of that part of the world. And every place he went, he established Greek cities, Greek culture, and Greek language became the language that was understood everywhere. The martial music accompanying Alexander the Great probably was something like John Philip Sousa, perhaps. <laughs> Cadence, but beautiful. And then there was another military sound, and this probably was more like Colonel Bogey. Harsh, <laughs> strong, it was the Romans with their iron fist. And they swept across the land. Now throughout that area, everyone could understand Greek. Now there was universal law. You could travel easily, for, uh, roads were built, ships could travel about. What was next? An old man named Zechariah one day was in the temple performing his service and an angel appeared. Scared the daylights out of him at first. <laughs> Zechariah, you and your wife are going to have a son and you're going to name him John. Oh, wait a minute, my wife's already past menopause. I'm an old man. I struggle a little bit with, well, you know what? You're going to have a son. Well, how do I know? You're going to be dumb. You can't talk till after the baby's born. <laughs> and he couldn't talk. So in obedience, they had conjugal relationships. Perhaps it was difficult, but they did so, and the baby was born, a miraculous child. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a maiden engaged, betrothed to a man. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. What does that mean? <laughs> Mary, you're going to bear a child. You'll be known as the Son of God. Well, I don't know a man. The Holy Ghost will come upon you. Indeed, that did happen. John was born, who came to be known as John the Baptist, the forerunner of whom Malachi had prophesied the one coming in the spirit of Elijah. And Mary gave birth in Bethlehem in an animal's stable and put the baby in a feeding trough of animals. All of those messages of hope that began with the word, I will put enmity between thy seed and her seed. And he will crush your head, but you will bruise his heel. Beginning with that one through all of the other messages of hope that people held in their hearts but did not understand were fulfilled that night in Bethlehem. But there was still more. And now it moved to somewhat of an allegro. <laughs> the baby grew, becoming a man 30 years of age, began to minister, and for three and a half years he healed the sick, he spoke the word of God, 
he raised the dead. And then he went to the cross and was crucified. This one who was both God and man, absolutely sinless, went to the cross and became sin, took all the sin of the human race upon himself. He hated it. The night before, he'd cried out to God, O oh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. The thing he hated is what he had to become, sin, in order to accomplish, fulfill the hope that God had given. Allegro. Rapidly, the resurrection, 40 days, and then standing on a mountaintop with his disciples, he ascended into heaven, and an angel stood by and said, You men of Galilee, why stand you looking into heaven? This same Jesus shall come in like manner. But he had said to them, Don't go tell anybody. Keep your mouth shut until the Holy Spirit comes on you. And ten days later, the prophecy of Joel was fulfilled as the Holy Spirit fell. And men and women spoke in tongues, not just men, but men and women. The power of the Holy Spirit enabled them to go forth and do the work of God. And the oratory in its body ended. But then God began to compose a postlude. And the goal of that postlude was the fulfillment of what that angel had said. This same Jesus whom you saw going away in the cloud in like manner will come again. Jesus himself said it is necessary that if I go away I'll prepare a place for you. And if I go I will come again and receive you myself that where I am there ye may be also. All of this to fulfill the desire of God's heart to have in eternity in fellowship with him those who have been created in his image. That's our hope, isn't it? It is that to which we look today. We thank God that all of those other messages of hope, sometime in slow rhythm, sometime in rapid rhythm, were all a part of God's oratorio fulfilled. Now we're in the postlude. <laughs> And we're looking forward to the fulfillment of that great hope. Come, Lord Jesus.